What's up? What's up? What is up? Another Friday, another opportunity to get together with the crew. The whole crew is in the building today. Um, this is the experience. This is the moment. This is the activity. This is the 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 explosion known as the Ball Hawk Sports Talk, where we get together on Friday mornings and um, make sure that we record it, have a good time, have a live audience, but most importantly, have our way when it comes to covering sports, business, and entertainment. You know how we do it. We do it rough, rugged, and raw. So we're asking everyone to come on in, fasten your seatbelts, get your coffee, and make sure that you uh, get ready for some some, some good coverage. Uh, today's topic, today's title is inequity and exclusion. That's right, inequity and exclusion. And for us corporate folk, we've heard that term thrown around DEI. What is DEI? What is DEI? Diversity, equity, and inclusion is explained a whole bunch of different ways, but in, in, for the most part, it's just some form of figuring out what your diversity standards are and how to adhere to those. And then the equity and inclusion part is trying to be fair, equal representation, inclusion, doesn't matter, uh, race, gender, everyone needs to be included in, on equal terms. And it's a sort of a pie in the uh, sky idea that corporate types have struggled to bring to fruition. Uh, the same is true with sports business entertainment. And so you know how we do. We flipped it a little bit. We took the equity and inclusion, and instead we're going to call it inequity and exclusion. And that's all I'm going to do for now to set the foundation. Fasten up your seatbelts because uh, the Ball Hawk Sports Talk is coming to you and right now. So let's go. Wake up, wake up, wake up, and stay woke because this is the Ball Hawk Sports Talk. With your boy, B. Brown, ESQ, a.k.a. the Ball Hog, a.k.a. the Mouth of the South. This is the place where sports, business, and entertainment collide. And we're going to give it to you rough, rugged, and raw. So come get you a spoonful, like some grits with butter and salt. You know how we do it in the South, y'all. Make sure you do not get caught in your feelings. Strap on your seatbelt and enjoy the ride. Come on, let's go, 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 go. In the building, it's the whole crew. We starting in the central time zone of the Ball Hawk Sports Talk crew. You know how we start. We start central time zone. So we an hour earlier than all of y'all over here on the East Coast. It is the man, the myth, the legend, he who shall be known as and referred to and respected as the Big Flow Show. I need to get a couple more nicknames. I, I got a nickname, man, but you got about six, seven self-proclaimed nicknames. I'm a Floridian, man, and I'm a receiver. Sorry, this dude. is what we do, baby. We I'm going to figure it out. I'm a, lot of, I'm a lot of man, so I need more than one. I'm going to just figure it out. But right now, what's good, America? If you decide to go by a lot of men, you have one person that will raise my and say, I'm just going to choose not to call you that. I'm going to tell you what, it's a dude, one of the best nicknames I hear, a fat dude that uh, that, that played at my high school, and his nickname was The Most. <laughs> That's that was, the coldest, The Most. The Most. Just The Most. <laughs> the you the fill most. it in how you want to from there. But yeah, I'm just the going to go by The Most. I ain't mad at him, man. Uh, and you know we on the East Coast with it as well. 
Uh, my man's a little down. I don't, I don't know if he's upset because the Patriots played last night and they didn't look very Patriot-like, but he's normally the one representing all the Boston stuff. You know who he is. Now who shall need no introduction. The man behind all the production, ETP Ellis, the producer. What's up, my brother? I'm enjoying life, man. I'm just happy that uh, I'm not a Browns fan because you're <laughs> about four we and seven. We're going to get to that. <laughs> Yeah, and for those of you who uh, um, were not privy to the the pre-show, I was trying to mess with him about the Patriots. He reminded me very quickly that indeed the Browns are the Browns this year, but and we've been bad for a long time, so we used to this. You know what I'm saying? And we we good here. Uh, <laughs> right, so, yeah. right, so you don't you're not uncomfortable. Stuck. See, we're, we're stuck you're not. This is what we yeah, do. We, hey, hey the Browns is fans, unfamiliar. <laughs> their super their Super Bowl is the draft. They got a first pick every year, second hey, pick every year. Hey, <laughs> I can't. What am I gonna say? Tough back to that, considering how we played this year. With hey. the Kobe percent, I can't say nothing tough back hey, to that. So hey, on, we don't have we don't have ten wins between us on this show. Ain't that about something, man? Uh, the one that had hope, the glimmer, because they felt like they had their guy in Matt Jones. Who? Matt Jones. Uh, Matt Jones, I think, showed us last night that he is not the guy, but I digress. Um, we did beat the other guy last week, Browns, in overtime. If we're going to get into it, Tom Brady, TV 12, but I, I, that's not what we started with. We got to start with some other stuff. Because in today's episode, uh, before we get in, like we ask you every week, we ask you humbly, please like, please comment, please share, please tag a friend, please tag a foe, please tag anybody that you know, and please subscribe to both our YouTube channel and our podcast. Uh, we are officially about to get in, y'all, and we got to do it rough, rugged, and raw. In this episode of inequity and exclusion, I think there have been years, several years, of examples of inequity and exclusion as it pertains to college football. We've had the Coastal Carolinas and the Tulanes and the and the Boise states of the world that have found themselves on the outside looking in when it came to uh, the pre-college football playoff uh, uh, era and even in the college football playoff era. These type of teams that have great seasons, some undefeated, have found themselves on the outside looking in. And in this episode of Inequity and Exclusion, it's time to celebrate the fact that the college football playoffs have expanded to 12 teams. The examples of teams being excluded should now be far and few between, we think. This is a day of celebration, right? Absolutely. Absolutely. Why I so? Think, hey, look, I mean, They've been they've been hiding behind the the bowl game thing for a long time. I got a whole idea about bowl games. I'll get into a little bit later, but I think that you know we want to see who's out there. We want to give people a chance. The person with the late run, um, you know, all the Alabama lovers. You know, when Alabama doesn't make it this year, they're going to be like, "Wow, they're still the best team." We'll give them a chance to do that. Now we there's too many times where the the people lose the conference championship game and they're and they're automatically out, but they could be good. Top four, you know. You're going to argue who five and six are, but I, I don't worry about arguing who's number 13 and number 14. I still think, I don't know if you're going to go through the the uh, criteria to get in. Yeah, I we'll still go, think we'll, we'll go they left room. They left room for argument and, and people to be upset. But I, again, I still, no one's going to shed too many tears for number 13. You know? Uh, well, number 13's fans going to shed team, Maybe tears a for bit. 13. But Nobody I hear Yeah. Yeah. Uh, ETP, have we arrived at the moment of epiphany that we have finally got it right. 
because the number was the question. And now we know the number. The number being the question that has loomed over our heads and loomed in barbershops throughout the country when we talked about whether or not there should be an expansion. Everyone with an opinion tried to opine on what the number should be. And now they've landed at 12, uh, and we knew that for a while, but it seemed like one of the bowl games was the holdout. They finally got to it, the Rose Bowl being the one, uh, was the holdout. They finally got to a point where they're going to implement this expansion in the year starting 2024. So we've only got one more season of this lousy four playoff system, and then we're on the 12. Did they get it right? I think this is a much better step for the determining the national champion, but it raises a lot of questions. I'm looking forward to them opening it up like basketball. Let's get 64 in there. Let's have 12 rounds. Oh my God. No, but – I, I mean, it, it's it's interesting because I think there's actually going to be probably potentially more controversy. You know, obviously football is a, a game of injuries and it's, you know, the best ability is availability. So, you know, you're talking potentially having to play four more games as a team. Injuries could play a factor in that. Then there'd be more arguments and controversies around who should be the national championship, <coughs> be the national champion. You know, at this point, I think we're pretty set. There's not really any controversy. Obviously, this is a money play. And, you know, my concern with this is, you're, you know, you're extending the direct the schedule for potentially, you know, a few teams to, to play, what, 30, a third more games than they played all season. And yet the athletes still don't get paid. So my concern is yeah this is great it's opening up advertising revenue it's more ticket sales it's more marketing value all of these things but yet the talent is still not being compensated other than being able to go out and use their name image and likeness to get endorsement deals with a local air conditioning company that they they the powers that be would respond to that probably that the additional games the additional exposure the additional ad revenue opportunities that the tv um deals will present also in a roundabout way give the players more opportunity to establish and profit off of their name image and likeness it absolutely it absolutely does but that's a sliver of an a pie that just got way bigger right so obviously because you could talk about it in women's basketball, right? Like, there's a reason why Paige Beckers, who's who, I mean, injured most of her college career, but there's a reason why she's not leaving college to go to the WNBA because the platform of her playing on, you know, the large, you know, the largest scope of a platform for UConn being the perennial champion of college women's college basketball is they're bigger gonna take, than they're going to take an ass whooping on Sunday. No, they ain't about to beat their ass, but I, I, you make the point. So make the point. we could, we can make a side bet on that. And then, so the idea of her going into the WNBA is going to lower that marketing platform as we'll discuss or what have you. But yeah, for some, for some athletes that does that, but with football, the amount of money that's being made, off of the games, off of the marketing value, off of the endorsements, the sponsorships, all of that that comes with it. And the fact that there's, you know, 80, what's the, what's a uh, college football roster? A hundred, hundred players? 85 scholarships, I think scholars, but at least a hundred. Uh, 110, 120, something like that. Yeah. We'll I mean, of that, you're getting, you know, a very minor amount 
of people that are going to be able to maximize and capitalize the quarterback, some receivers, some defensive players. And it's still not going to even be more than an accounting error in comparison to what they're going to make off of, you know, the media rights and the marketing value and all of that that's being derived and not being shared with the, the talent on the field. You're not going to hear me argue that. And I, I, I would, I would also say the way that you have presented it makes it clear because in this episode of inequity and exclusion, the truth of the matter is, is there, there is a, a level of inequity and exclusion on every team. Even if a team goes and runs the gauntlet and we'll go into, we'll get into the rules. ETP said three, maybe four potential extra games. They run the gauntlet. They win the championship. Even if that happens, and the, the, the TV opportunities that come with it, maybe the NIL deals that come with it, there's a level of inequity and exclusion even within that team because not everyone's going to get the opportunity. You talk about Paige Beckers at UConn, um, and the same thing can be said with you know Caleb Williams, who more than likely won the Heisman against Notre Dame. It hurt me to say that. Uh, out of USC, it hurt me to say that. But for every Caleb Williams on a team like USC, there are several players that are not getting paid. Um, so uh, we have talked about that ad nauseum, and it's interesting to, to to deal with it here, thinking about the college football expansion, because all it's going to do is make a, a bigger a bigger problem. The void is going to be even bigger. The discrepancy between uh, the Caleb Williams of the world and the person who uh, might have also been a five star recruit but does not have name, image, and likeness such that it's profitable is huge. I ask you in terms of the safety part of it. Big flow show. You got a son now playing power five to think that, you know, that team would, would, would then potentially have to play four extra games. Because when we first talked about, it, I said, I just assumed that there will be a reduction in regular season games and they're not. And the reason we say uh, uh, potentially four extra games, the rules are essentially that uh, the four, they're going to be four teams that get a buy. I think the four teams that get a buy for the most part, would probably be the four college football teams over the last several weeks. Yeah. Right? Mm-hmm. They get a buy. Then you've got from there uh, the conference champion that's in the top 25. Every co- conference champion that's in the top 25 has an automatic bid. And that would include the power five, and one other conference champion that's in the top 25. So that could be big five. That could, I think, technically be independent. Um, So those are six spots that are secured. All right. The other six spots are up for, or at large, if you will, and up for debate based on where you rank in that top 25. Now, because conference championships still matter, given that it secures your spot, you could arguably have someone ranked number 10 in the country that does not make it into this field of 12. And so we'll get into the nuances of the rules and how that'll play out. But before I do that to a dad that has a son playing college football to hear that it potentially this expansion could expansion could potentially lead to four additional games with no compensation, at least from the, the school in which he plays the institution in which he's committed to and getting an education how does that make you feel from a safety perspective? 
You know, looking at it the holistically, there's only going to be a few teams that have those games, right? Two teams are going to have four. Four teams are going to have three. Yada, yada, yada. So you're really only adding it for a select group of, of, uh, of teams. Those teams are going to have to have some depth. It's going to be very hard for a team to go there without any depth, right, to keep making it happen. But, I mean, if God bless Northwestern, if they make it all the way to the championship game, I think I'll get over it. It's not going to happen year in and year out. It's not like the NFL where you add 17 games and that's going to be cumulative if you're in the series, the, 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 the NFL for however many seasons you're going to have that many more games. You're just talking about a select few group of people and only the deepest teams will probably make it that way. So I don't know. I'd rather see it this way than 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 the way that it's been. You know what I mean? I'd like to, I think it makes everything more relevant. It gives people more things to shoot for. I think it, it's going to help college football on a whole when you start thinking about, you know, if you really want to win a national championship, there's really two or three teams that you should commit to, right? Maybe four teams you can commit to to get a chance. Or you mean currently? Currently, currently. under our current system with four currently, teams. You want to get a chance. You want to get a shot. You know, Michigan obviously broke in the last two years, but let's see if they can maintain that spot and see what they're going to go do. I think when you start expanding it more, now people are like, okay, can I be one of the top 12 teams in the nation at the end of the season to make this thing? I think, you know, Northwestern, even though we went, you know, one and something this year, three and something last year, the year before that we finished number nine, right? So, like, it can happen. So I think it's good for football. Um, I think, you know, just like the transfer portal, has its problems, but for football, it's been good because now you're seeing all these teams that everyone's got a quarterback because now, you know, the 131 quarterbacks are all spread out as opposed to having five on one team, five on another team, and no, you know, nothing anywhere else. So I think, you know, as a football fan, this is great. As a dad, you know, if, the, if my son made it to the national championship game, obviously I worry about danger, but you'd be so excited that he did, he got to do that that, that one time. I would argue that kids these days, young men, let's not call them kids at the risk of sounding like I'm Methuselah, but these young men, I don't think they really care about the national championship. To your point, there are four, maybe five programs right now that you would want to go to if indeed you wanted to go and win a national championship. I think there's probably a very strong correlation and, you know, for obvious reasons, wins, losses, but those are the same four programs that seem to be getting uh, or propelling the most players into the NFL. If 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 we lock if we if we hooked up some of the four and five star players to a polygraph, I think it would tell us that they don't really give a damn about national championship. They give a damn more about going to the NFL. But you, you make a great point. In making your point, though, you also and and I love the fact that it's Northwestern that we're talking about because Northwestern was also the place where the young man, the the quarterback that tried to go and play in the NFL and play receiver, I'm sorry, his name is escaping me, but he was trying to uh, create a union for players. And why do I, I say that here? Because your reference to the NFL in that 17th game, they fought, scratched, clawed, got a whole bunch of things for that set, that one additional game. Now, potentially, a team could get four extra games. And from a safety perspective, the players had very little, no, less than that. They had no say-so in whether or not, indeed, they would in, 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 incur the risk of the additional, potential additional Kevin game. Coulter was his name. Kevin Coulter, thank you. But, um, and, I, and, and, and it's just sort of coincidence that we're talking about Northwestern here, but the players not being able to speak up and participate in some form of collective bargaining when it comes to the the potential additional games. Yet, those being the people that 
undeniably the ones assuming the most risk from the safety perspective is indeed another example of inequity and exclusion when it comes to the college football landscape. Having said that, let, let's get into the, the, the meat me, potatoes. Me, of, go ahead. Let me make one little comment. I think we're going to see in a very short order – They've been, they've been doing stuff with these kids where they're giving them a little bit more money, and for some reason it hasn't made a lot of press. So, you know, the kids now get a six thousand up to $6,000 stipend for staying eligible. Some schools didn't participate, but more schools are participating. Northwestern participated. Are you year. allowed to say that on the airwaves? It feels so illegal that we could it even does. say that. But, but uh, you get a $6,000 stipend. Then, then there's a cost of living that's been going there. That varies from school to school, but, you know, kids can get a couple thousand a month, $1,000 a month. That varies from school to school. A lot of these dudes are doing NIL deals where they're giving everybody a certain amount of money on the team. Um, now, if you make the college football playoffs, they give the parents $3,000 travel expenses. They don't really talk about that. When we went to the bowl game, we used to get bowl stipends. Remember that? We would get a couple hundred bucks for a bowl stipend. I don't. I, I would prefer on this particular topic, leave me out of it. I don't know what we can say when we can't say. No, the so bowl I'm game sure. would give you, they'd give you a watch, some sweats, different. Oh, whatever. yeah, yeah, yeah. That was and a bug board. Yes. And yes, they would so give you a stipend. Yes, I think we're going to see that stipend turn into ten thousand dollars, five thousand. It's, it's going to turn into something because there's so much money there. I think they are going to pay these kids to play in the playoffs, but they're just not going to overly talk about it. But everyone's been getting that stipend. It was a few hundred dollars spending money. I just found out. I'm, I'll find out. I'll do my super sleuth to find out what the players are getting. But if the parents are getting three thousand dollars, if you show up to the game, they give you a three thousand dollar credit card to pay for your expenses. It's Players are next. I mean, let's just say that. If the players are getting a stipend, the players are going to get it next. So let's, you know, we say that no one's getting paid. Some of the stuff, for some reason, they're keeping it hush-hush, but there's going to be some money to be to change hands. And I yeah, I, 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 hey, to your point, that might be another way to skin the cat, but it's also another way to avoid the elephant in the room that these institutions have the wherewithal and the capability financially to pay players in a format that would look like employment but indeed, I think that's in, it, what it is. Um, but yet they are using or relying on the idea, the possibility, the potential third-party payer in some NIL deal to pay the players. But anyway, mm -hmm. let's get into the nuances of the football aspects of the expansion. Like, what does this do? Like, who, who benefits most? I know we talked about before the show Notre Dame and what this does for a Notre Dame team. Uh, I had some ideas in the current landscape what I thought Notre Dame should do. Um, but who does this help the most? Because the, the Coastal yeah. Carolinas of the world, I thought it would help them the most. Um, but with certain stipulations in there, with the conference championships uh, being a big part of securing your spot and then being where you're ranked in the top 25, which still has a, a, a level of bias in it, um, who benefits the most from this? And then before we move on. I think it's I mean I think it's dope that basically if you're if you win your conference and you're in the top 25 then you have an opportunity cuz clearly you know there's always questions about the bias in the rankings and you know the conferences that get too you know are overly represented so I think the smaller conferences getting you know getting that level of access is big right and that's gonna it's gonna help those schools immensely and and bring up so it, it potentially this whole thing could create some interesting parity now there's all this consolidation of the conferences to the point where maybe it won't even matter matter by the time 2024 comes around because we'll have 
three conferences, but you know, as of right now, the smaller conferences get more exposure. They have a they have an avenue and in, in to, to get in. They just need to stay ranked, but they win their conference and they'll be good to go. Right. Uh what's up, Patrick? Man, uh my man Patrick Thomas. What's up, coach? Uh he said he need to get Reggie Bush's stacks back. <laughs> Give me your stats, man. Give me your stats. Yeah, my stats back. Uh, we appreciate your input. And like we ask everybody every week, man, we ask you humbly, please like, comment, share, tag a friend, tag a foe, tag anybody that you know, and please subscribe. Uh, so continue with the comments. We love when you guys weigh in. It helps us come with a different angle, different viewpoint. Uh, I'll let you get final word on a big flow show uh, from a, a, a competitive landscape. Who does this help the most? Where do we see this going? 12 teams, did they get the number right before we turn the page on to another topic? You got excited when you heard college football playoff expansion. So I'll let you, I'll let you uh, be the, the last word on the topic. What say you? Um, who's it helped the most? I think conferences like like the, the Pac-12, which for some reason, you know, has been underrepresented in the playoffs that, you know, now they're champions. Because they sorry. I'm, I'm sorry. I'm sorry. This year they have more ranked teams than they've had. So it's kind of a weird year for them. It the is. year that everyone blows up, they had more ranked teams than they've had in a long time. But, you know, they've been left out and, and kind of nobody's cared. I think it helps teams like that. I think it helps that, um, you know, the SEC third juggernaut that doesn't make the championship game, i.e. Alabama, where, you know, you're kind of out outside looking in and you play in a tough conference so it doesn't, you know, it'll reward you because, you know, you're in a, you know, supposedly the hardest conference uh, out there. So you could argue that, you know, maybe they'll get a third team into the playoffs uh, as opposed to just one or two. Um, those are the ones I think off the top of my head, it helps. Obviously the group of five that have to be perfect to get in right now, i.e. Cincinnati had to be perfect to get in. Now you can have one loss and still win your conference championship and still have an opportunity to make it to the game. So I don't know who it helps the most, but I think those are the, those are what come to mind. Got it. Uh, love it, man. And, and I think the college football world celebrating. Everybody's doing the dance. Everybody's doing a backflip uh, until the 10th team is finds itself on the outskirts of the uh, college football expanded playoff landscape. Uh, for now, all is well in college football world. Uh, now we got to go over to this NFL because as uh, ETP pointed out, Although I want to uh, 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 do my own dance and celebrate the uh, downfall and the demise of the New England Patriots, he reminded me that the Browns are indeed 4-7. and seven. My immediate response is because we've been playing with a rental quarterback, and we knew we were on borrowed time. He was on borrowed time. But now there's a certain man after a slew of lawsuits that will be back in the lineup. You're talking about inequity and exclusion. My man, I ain't going to get into the inequity part. Whether or not it was fair to increase the game from 5 to 11, I'm not going to get into that. But we can agree that he has been excluded from the Browns lineup. He's been excluded from showing he is worth that $8 billion, whatever they paid him. Uh, the record amount of, 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 of income for any NFL player, including a quarterback, he's been excluded for showing that he's worth it, but now he's back. What do y'all think Deshaun Watson coming back means for the Cleveland Browns? I know you guys are going to say something negative, so you can scrap that part and just get to the other part, which is three or four of the women that were... Ten. Ten? Ten of them? I didn't realize it got to ten. Ten of the women that were involved in the... They bought a package. 
10 of the women that were involved in the lawsuits that had accused him of inappropriate behavior while getting a, a, a massage, 10 of those women plan to be in attendance when Deshaun Watson walks back onto the football field. And of course, he is walking back onto the football field to play the Houston Texans. The NFL, through all of its infinite wisdom, figures out how to make a penny out of any tragedy. Uh, they're going to make a pretty penny off this. This will be a, 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 a primetime game with two terrible teams for one very simple reason, and that's the drama and saga that is Deshaun Watson. But you add to that, 10 of the women that settled with Deshaun Watson will be in attendance. And I don't know if it's, I don't know if I'm going to call it antagonistic, but it doesn't seem as though it, 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 it makes, if I, let me, let me flip it. If I was on the other end of that and someone had harmed me, the last place I want to go is go watch them play. Uh, what do we think about this Deshaun Watson saga, man? And look, we're talking about inequity and exclusion. And I think if the, the, the roles were reversed, and Deshaun Watson decided on the heels of whatever came about of the settlement to, to, to go to, you know, some masseuse conference and make it well known that he would be in attendance, we'd be talking about a restraining order. <laughs> right. And so it just seems as though it's, it's, a, it's a very interesting twist on all of this and we're laughing about it. But at the same time, right, the whole idea of inequity is that we all got to be treated fairly. And we got to treat these circumstances the way that we would treat them if the roles were reversed. Um, because you look like you're wearing a Browns hat. I know it's not a Browns hat, but it looks close enough. I I'll go to you first on the ETP. Uh, I can get you a replacement and get an actual Browns hat, man. You ain't got a fake funk, man. Come on over, I'm sure man. you can because it's, it's not like they're out of stock anywhere. They're fully, there's that. full inventory. I think, I think Goodwill has a whole section, actually. Don't do that. Don't do that. Don't do that. <laughs> Even if you're right, don't say it. Uh, what do you think about this Deshaun Watson saga as it continues to continue? I mean, he spent a whole year out of football, figured out what team he was going to go to, did this whole process, went back and forth with the NFL, had the settlements, and Tony Busby went crazy with all these lawsuits. And, and then the, the 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 penalty was extended, and yet we are we still don't seem to be at the end of the tunnel when it comes to this saga. What say you? So for me, I mean I wouldn't I wouldn't make the comparison to Deshaun Watson showing up at a at a massage conference or a massage therapist conference. Like obviously he was the one charged or he was the one accused um, and he settled. But I think from the perspective of the women that are planning to show up, it's a little bit strange, right? Because the idea was, you know, they felt violated. Why are they going? And I can understand the expectation or the, you know, the representation that they want to call out these you know, I guess these violations, but they settled, right? Like if they settled on the terms of whatever it was to close out or conclude their, you know, their allegations, why are they continuing? So that that's the part that's, that's strange for me. Like, do they, just, are they fans? Do they want to see the game? Like, what's the, what's the purpose of this? Because you can't really, you know, in terms of a contract negotiation or anything like that, once you settle, then, you know, the the litigation, you know, behind closed doors is done, right? So the idea of, that's like Colin, Ka like is Colin Kaepernick showing up? He doesn't have season tickets to the 49ers. 
although he's settled with the NFL, like he's not showing up at events to try to maintain a presence to show that he's been blackballed. Like he clearly settled. Now it makes me question Deshaun Watson's representation that they still can come up and, you know, be in his presence and, you know, still promote this idea while having already cashed the check. It's it just sounds like there's some there's some loopholes that should have been closed. In in in, in defense of defense, if you will, <laughs> nobody in their right mind thinks that when you're settling that, you should also create some stipulation that you guys can't antagonize them at the game. A gag order type or confidentiality. Yeah, I'm sure they got a gag order, but really they're not doing anything wrong. They can go to a game, but to publicize it, it just yeah, seems as though it's harassment. Right, it's like harassment. And, and also, why subject? Yeah, why subject them? Why are they like they're, they're just promoting more conflict within this whole thing? Like the the Browns fans have been coming up, making you know, there's on both sides of it. There's been picketers on both sides where there's been people in support of Deshaun Watson and people against Deshaun Watson. Now this is just going to add to that, you know, that discord. I just don't understand the benefit of it and what the objective is. I don't either. And I, and again, like I, I, in this episode of inequity and exclusion, if we were to just turn the tables and said Deshaun Watson, you know, bought a booth at some massage convention that he knew that these women would be at just for the sake of having the booth and making it public such that people knew that he was going to be there. We'd be up in arms and we'd be saying something to the effect of he, he should get a restraining order. Uh big flow show, man. I I look, I, I know, know it's my not, quarterback. It's my quarterback. What do you think about that? Maybe, I feel like my man getting railroaded here. Maybe part of the settlement was he had to provide tickets to, to the season tickets. Maybe he's ten <laughs> tickets to me. I don't know. Fair. You know, sign I, some I jerseys. <laughs> sign some jerseys or whatever. I mean, I thought it was I don't think I think he's a pervert. I don't think these women were abused. That's just my gut. I don't. I, I can't prove it. I just feel like it's a money grab, and they got the money, and they're trying to get their more fame and do whatever. I watched the the real sports uh, episode, and I was very unimpressed with the with the the victims' accounts, so called victims' accounts of what happened. It seemed just real sketchy. I I, I throw this in the same bucket. They're showing up. They they want the publicity. They want the smoke. They're trying to get a Barbara Walters special. They're trying to do what they got to go do. If you are really truly a victim of a, of a of a sex crime, do you really want to like? Most of the times, you would think you would never want to see the person. You don't want to be in the room. You're traumatized. You're uncomfortable. You're gonna to go to his game in a stadium of forty thousand people. I don't know however many the Brown Stadium holds. And you said forty thousand players like that, bro. And that stadiums are kind of small though. That's all. Hey, at least eighty thousand. He just trying to play us, bro. I mean, it's like a bit, pretty much like a high school. Oh, here you go. okay. Yeah, but anyway, they're playing in Houston. Better. It's actually the game is in Houston. It's in Houston. Yes. Yeah, so oh, it's in Houston. Houston. We're all, yeah. So at least they didn't fly. So they, it's local for them. They just say, I'm a, I'm, a, I'm a fan now. They're they're a fan of of the tech. They just want to go boo his ass, right? But I just think like, okay, you you claim that you went through this horrible trauma, and that he's doing whatever, but you want to be you want to be recognized. Are you going to wear t-shirts? What are you going to do? I mean, you want them? You you know? Does that sound right. like somebody who's been through something that's so traumatized? Uh, dramatic or traumatic that they had to to get paid off, but now they're going to go and parade themselves out there 
it's just this is i don't think they realize the potential backlash of this like now that they're going to be identified like i mean they they are opening themselves up to some yeah when they get harassed some by criticism fans, right somebody does something lewd what are they going to say now right they probably but, feel as though if any space you're going to do it in in texas houston texans fans are probably a little less bothered by them being there and look just to be fair because I do want to be fair. I mean, in this in, in this era, even you know, victims of se- sexual assault, they say one of the steps to recovery is 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 to you know overcome the oppressor. And so maybe that's it. It just doesn't feel that way because I feel you could have gone to the game, um, checked off any psychological box that anyone that is trying to get help for the damage done um, with sexual assault. You could have done all those things and been therapeutic without the public knowing that the 10 of you were coming together to go to this game. And so that's the part that I, I, I makes me wonder. And Tony Busby, look, Tony Busby has been, uh, I said that from the very beginning, the fact that there's one attorney representing all of these, uh, in this right. case, I, I'll call them victims, but in this case, we can at least say uh, recipients of a settlement, uh, even if you don't want to call them victims, always said something to me. So that version of it, at the risk of hearing a whole bunch of lawyer jokes, is a money grab representation of, of this whole thing. But now to double down and go to the game, something just doesn't seem right about it. And look, uh, with all the money that Deshaun Watson is making, uh, the word victim will not come out of my mouth when I talk about him because sign me up, smear my name, mess up my reputation, have people that are close to me question whether or not I'm even capable of such actions. As long as you're going to pay me them type of M's, I'm good with it. So I won't call him a victim, but at some point it seems unfair. And and that that's where I think we are with it. And so I'll leave it there. I don't know if anyone of you want uh, to give last word before we move on. All I'll say on the topic is, look, I, I, you know, to, to anyone listening who's been a victim of some sort of sexual assault, I don't want to claim to understand what you go through, what you need to get right. So let me let me back up from that. I, just something about this, just on the surface, just doesn't seem right. And the little bit I've seen of interviews of people was not convincing. Um, again, I don't, I'm not an expert. I shouldn't claim to know what it's like. I don't, I just, it just seems weird. Like it seems weird that they would announce their presence in this situation, but it's not for me to understand. Yeah. I, I I mean, one thing that I just think about is like how much of this was a consideration when they determined how many games he was going to be suspended for that the first one would be back in Houston. Like, was this part of the, like, was this like some strategic punishment or slap in the face like it's just convenient no one checked if the numbers the numbers of games was a little bit unorthodox and then all of a sudden it's like oh yeah by the way you're going back to houston for your first game so go into the fire or you know face the music shame yeah right (laughs) like it's stoned shame (laughs) deshaun watson it's my quarterback let's go do our thing man despite the fact that you're going to do it with at least 10 women probably wearing shirts and and uh, displaying messages that are less than supportive uh what if he does a lambo leap into this section was that lambo leap (laughs) would he get a would he get arrested for that you know i don't know man it's some crazy you cannot make make sense and that's one of them i can't make make sense uh, something else that I can't make make sense in this episode of inequity and exclusion. Sometimes you wish things would have been excluded. Like the Sean Taylor statue. Mm. Sean Taylor, 
who by all accounts was an amazing man, undeniably an amazing player, in the prime of his career, lost his life trying to defend his family. And the University of Miami, what used to be Washington Redskins, now Washington Commanders, celebrated a lot of what he did without really, I don't think, appreciating and capitalizing off the significance of his life. And I, I thought that since the young man died. Uh, Miami, I think, does a much better job of celebrating Sean Taylor. That 26 jersey, when it comes to Miami, said, like they celebrate Sean Taylor. I didn't think so when it came to the NFL. While that, in my mind, is true, I couldn't even fathom how bad this memorial gesture turned out to be. If you didn't see, it's basically a mannequin with a Sean Taylor jersey on it with half a sock, and it just looked like it, it wasn't done very well. And of all people, right, I said, well, used to be Washington Redskins, now Washington Commanders. On this episode of Inequity and Exclusion with an owner that has been knee-deep in allegations when it comes to sexism and misogynistic environment in the office, it's just amazing that that team messes this up. It couldn't be any worse other than having not done it at all. And I might argue that that would have been better than a mannequin wearing a Sean Taylor jersey. It reminds me of my man, Joey Gethrall, mess with me, man. My last year, we, were, we weren't a great team. And he, he, I walk into it, and it's just tough, and it's cold. When you ain't a good team at a team like a school like Notre Dame, late in the season, it's tough, man, because it's cold out there. And I got my ankle taped, and I walked into a locker room, and my boy Jay, Joey Gethrall had – he had taken the, man, the the skeleton. Remember the skeleton that was in the training room, Big Flo? He had taken that oh, skeleton yeah. and he had put a number 88 jersey on it, put the chain on it, had my cleats, had my gloves. So I walk into the locker room and I see the skeleton with the 88 jersey, big old 88 chain that I used to rock. And I had a ball laughing at it. It was a joke. To think that Sean Taylor's memorial and celebrating the life of a hero that tried, that died trying to protect his family would look similar to that skeleton is also a joke. Could they have gotten this any more wrong? It really looked bad. I hope you guys got a chance to see the image. So, you don't have to do a ton of time on it, but yeah, yeah. How, how do you celebrate a man's life with that? It's, I mean, it's, it's, it's consistent, right? So last year they had a memorial you know they had a they paid honor to him at a at a game against Kansas City and Patrick Mahomes brother was like doing a TikTok on the logo that they put for Sean Taylor on the field so right. this is like just very consistent and the idea I mean to your point I think this is worse than doing nothing like we're talking about how poorly they are honoring the life of this man who whose career was cut short, but we wouldn't have had to talk about the disgrace if they hadn't done anything. Like we could right. question whether or not he deserved it or not, but this is more of a kind of a 
hodgepodge, disgraceful attempt. You know, from what I understood, the the mat, the jersey and the pants didn't match. It wasn't historically accurate. It wasn't a statue. It was. It literally looked like a, you know, a models or you know, foot action <laughs> mannequin display, and it just wasn't really, uh, you know, a good representation of how you would honor somebody if you were trying to do it. So, in reality, it's more. I'd rather not have done anything than to you know half haphazardly try to you know pull something together like this in this episode of inequity and inclusion it just it it's hurtful to think that this young black man loses his life and that's how he is air quote celebrated because we've got several examples of white athletes that if there's a tragedy and you're trying to celebrate their life, it's just a different level of memorial. On the heels of Sean Taylor dying, I remember when the media was trying to make it about him being a thug. It was all about the lifestyle that he chose. And there was these rumors out there that he was, a, he was, you know, some thug. And then once the details came out and you realize that the, these young opportunistic kids thought that he'd be out of town and it was a home invasion and he literally died protecting his family. No one out there and, and rescinded and retracted those statements and, 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 you know, stepped up and owned up to all of the, the stereotypes inherent in those rumors. No one did that. And now to see several years later that this is his memorial I think it's, it's whack, bro. It's whack. And I don't like their team to begin with, but I, I think that this is more than just about the commanders. It's something deeper about the inequity in celebrating a life and the life that celebrated a lot of times celebrated differently based on the hue of that person's skin. I'll give you last word, big flow show before we move on to another topic. Yeah. I, I just question, like, sometimes you see bad decisions like this. Like, who who did you ask before you did that? Like, who did you run it by? Was there a team of people that you said, is this cool? And they're like, yeah, I think that coat hanger definitely is represents Sean Taylor. I mean, <laughs> you know what I'm saying? Like, why they do it? I almost feel like they were just trying to try to utilize the logo and put the logo out there and see, I still got my Redskins logo and put it out there. I think that's probably more of the driver than anything else, but whatever. And in, and, in, and in all of it, Sean Taylor's family has to relive the reality that they, he's not here to celebrate, um, you know, so many different milestones, raise his kids, live happily ever after with his wife. So uh, unfortunate again, man, feels like he was victimized yet again. Um, someone who is not being victimized, in fact, they are being absolutely rewarded. They've been absolutely given the credit that they deserve. In this episode of Inequity and, In and Exclusion, um, that person, Coach Prime, is taking a little heat from the same folks that have celebrated his success at the HBCU, that is Jackson State University there in Jackson, Mississippi. Some of them same folks are mad now that Prime is even considering what would be a power five at a predominantly white institution opportunity, coaching opportunity. We've talked about it here uh, several times and we sort of just uh, not, it's pretty obvious that 
Coach Prime is one of the hottest coaches in all college football. So we had talked about the potential of maybe one day. And well, it's beyond that. Coach Prime has confirmed that he has an offer. He was offered the job at Colorado. He's been offered the job at USF, I believe. Uh, he is rumored to be a top candidate for Cincinnati. And Nebraska fans wanted him before Nebraska went out and hired Mark Rule. Mark Rule's resume, first prime. You so you you obviously see why Prime's a, a very good candidate. Uh do we think from an inequity and exclusion standpoint, is it fair? They were holding prime to the standard and saying that maybe he shouldn't even consider these jobs. And I know we talked about it last week, Big Flow Show, and maybe you had a little bit of a, a change of heart. Um, but also, is it fair to put the onus on Coach Prime and say from an exclusion standpoint, he should exclude himself from the predominantly white institution offers that are coming his way, at least for now. It's inequity and exclusion. It's Coach Prime. I got to start with you on this one, Big Flow Show, because I know where you stood at one point. There are a bunch of people piling on now that say that Prime, in order to be woke and keep it real, Prime should just shut the door and hang up the phone on those calls. What say you? I don't think it's about being woke. Um, I think, you know, although that's that's somehow taken on such a negative connotation by culture vultures that want to steal the word and turn it around. But anyway, I digress. I think, look, at the end of the day, this man has his own life, his own social security number. He stands on his own two feet. He does what he wants to do. And I'm no one to tell you what you should and shouldn't do. I speculate and I still speculate that he had conversations with, uh, was it Hunter? What's this guy's name? The number one guy from last year? Oh, uh, uh, Travis Hunter. Travis Hunter. I can only assume the conversation with Travis Hunter went something like this. Hey, listen, you're number one player in the nation. You can go anywhere. You can do anything. Why not do it at HBCU? Why, think, imagine all that you're going to do for the HBCUs. Imagine all the stuff that you're going to do for this. And you can be this. You can be, you know, the savior to the whole HBCU. Not that they were dying, but you could be, you could add a, a lightning lightning bolt to the uh, lightning rod to the, the HBCU experience. Father, this is what you could do. Woo. And he said, you know, I feel you, coach. I'll do it. Right. I just can't imagine that there, that was not part of the conversation. I wasn't part. I'm not privy to it, but I have to feel like that was part of the conversation, especially when everyone was trying to say he made all this money and he came back and said, no, I ain't making no money. I'm not making that kind of money. So if you didn't pay him to do it, you had to somewhat, I, 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 I fall short of using the word guilt, but you had to inspire him to do it for what he could do to his people. But then now you, you bounce, right? And when you leave, everyone's going to transfer. No one's going to stay. How's that different than what all other coaches do, Big Flow? How many coaches lied to us at these PWIs that recruited us and told us, that, hey, man, we going we gonna to do it for – I'll just make up a, a mascot so don't nobody think I'm talking about them. We're going to do it for Thunder Nation. We're going to bring this program back. You know, I'm going to be here for all four years. I'm committed. And then they have an eight-win season and they out. How many people did we see do that? I get it. I get it. I get it. But the thing is, Travis Hunter made a humongous sacrifice to go to this school, a much bigger sacrifice to go to this school than had he gone to, let's say, Florida, Florida State. State. He was committed over. to Florida State. Okay. So Florida State wasn't the best school in the world, so he could have gone to Alabama, Florida State, but that's kind of a relative situation. And I'm not talking – I'm just I'm just talking about the facilities, the exposure, 
um, you know, hey. all kinds of stuff, right? So everybody taking, you know, PWI versus HPC out of it. There's a lot of stuff that you can do with these power fives, the training that you're going to get, the medical staff, you know, everything, everything. It, and you can even ask uh, Coach Prime. Everything sucks it, it, except for the student body and, and, the, uh, and the, the school spirit. Everything sucks at, at Jackson State. They didn't have anything. He's got some stuff built there, whatever. But he huge sacrifice to go there. It's not like someone saying, hey, I want you to go to Purdue over Wisconsin and they're trying to sell you on what's going on. You are getting less. You have to look the man and say, you're going to get less, but you should take less because of what you're going to give back. But then now you're going to leave. Now he's going to go with them. So I, I just think at the end of the day, wherever Prime ends up, this Hunter dude's coming to. He's not going to stay at Jackson State. Hey, right? well, the Everybody who's – you think he's going to leave his sons there? The or transfer portal makes that possible now. So now you're going to leave and you're going to take your son with you who was over here, you're going to say, all right, you come over here. We're going to go to some other place. Now, if you ask me the choices that he has in front of him, I think Cincinnati's probably the best one. I think South Florida's kind of, you know, I, I'm i a big supporter of what Prime has done. I think it's been a great, uh, it's been great for, for so many. He's brought some publicity that's much needed. It's never happened. It's never going to be duplicated. I think it all unravels. One season, maybe you'll ask about Jackson State. They're going to report on Jackson State because they're going to report on how far they fell after he left. And it's just going to – HBCU is just going to go back to where, the, to where they were. And maybe ETP. they're happy with that. Sorry. Go ahead. Yeah, so maybe they're happy with that. But I don't I, – he doesn't owe it to anybody, but I'm just saying this is what's going to happen. ETP, balls in your court, man. You, 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 hear, you, you hear Coach Prom entertaining these calls. And the way I framed it, for Big Flow, I'm framing it for you too. Sort of the inequity of how uh, Black Twitter, if you will, covers these rumors, covers these opportunities. The exclusion of whether or not he should exclude himself from even being considered, but not even being considered, but truly exclude those possibilities because of his commitment and conviction to not only Jackson State, but I agree with you, Big Flow Show. It was bigger than Jackson State. It was about HBCU programs. It was about if you give a coach with little experience an opportunity that is committed to going out and winning and working hard, look what can happen. So he was – it was way bigger than Jackson State. The, the Coach Prime thing was deep. So does that mean he should exclude these, these, these other opportunities? What say you? So – one, I think that he should obviously entertain any professional opportunity, right? Like there's no reason to not hear anybody out based on his individual objectives. I mean, the, the thing that the issue isn't about what he does. I think the issue at hand is about what happens after he leaves because he's going to leave at some point, right? And if into Big Flow's point, you know, if there's not, I mean, Coach Prime, Primetime, Deion Sanders, this he's marketing, you know, he's a marketing fireball, total marketing ecosystem in and of one individual. And his ability to bring HBCUs into a bigger spotlight to, you know, build up the infrastructure of Jackson State to give them an undefeated season. Like all of this progress is amazing. And he's done so much for not just Jackson State, but HBCUs in terms of awareness and credibility. I think the thing that makes it hard is if he walks away after this season, 
his objective, what I, I mean, I understand, I don't know if it was his objective. It's going to look like his objective was to create and bolster his resume to get a job at a power five school or to build up, you know, his professional resume versus really setting a foundation for HBCUs and specifically Jackson state. Cause if he walks away now, I don't know that they can, they have the infrastructure or they have the base where they're going to be able to continue even, you know, a reduced level of the success that they've had in terms of, of marketability and like it, it like who is going to walk into that position the difference between the power five schools like you said about you know coaches jump around all the time they can find somebody to backfill there's always going to be somebody to backfill in these prestigious schools they already have the legacy they already have the platform they're already able to pay enormous amounts of money to these coaches jackson state doesn't have that ability and so when he walks it's not going to be backfilled by a Brian Kelly or, you know, whoever wants to jump around and take the next job. Right. So that's the issue. The issue is not like Deion Sanders can do what he wants. He's already the, the, what he's given to Jackson state. Nobody should ever condemn him. If he decided today to walk away and do anything else, because he, the value that he created by just being a presence and bringing his son there and bringing other, you know, top notch recruits to this university is huge. So, there's nothing negative you could say about it. I think he potentially either exposes that he wasn't really about the objective that he mentioned about setting a precedent to bring up and elevate HBCUs and specifically Jackson State University football team, or he left the job undone. So either way, his objective is not either either he was Stated lying about the objective yeah. or he didn't achieve the objective that he planned to achieve. And I'd say if he gives it one more year, it gives him a chance. I don't know the conversations that he's having, but there should be a succession plan. He should know they should already know who the coach will be coming in behind them. They should know what's going to happen with the recruits. Cause ultimately if he just throws up, you know, throws the whistle up and walks away and now everybody's left to figure it all out. All the work and progress he's made to big flow's point is gone. He's gonna leave it worse. He's gonna leave it worse than he found it. So because he's gonna take some players worse than he already. found it. You think he, he leaves how? it worse? Because look at it. All the they have a players, new stadium. <laughs> that's that's yeah. what I'm saying is all the good <laughs> players that are there that he brought are gonna leave. Oh, you mean Someone, you mean after he leaves? So so plus two months, it'll be worse yes. than when he. It'll, it'll be it'll be worse than it was before he got there. And that's a little bit of a of a just a bold, like a just a broad statement. He's gonna take all that he brought. And some more. It's a couple of kids in there that went there already, and they're gonna come too. They didn't realize they could play with these guys that are, that are power five, and they're gonna go too. They're not gonna leave, and then you're gonna get a coach in there. So you're right. The, the facilities and all that stuff is gonna be fantastic. All that stuff that he left, that, that that's part of it. The exposure, but they're not gonna be able to maintain that because they're not gonna find another coach prime. There's been other NFL people that went into the uh, HBCUs and no one followed them like they did here. Now, one question I have for you guys is, as far as his legacy and his stuff. He got to. He's got to be picky. I think I, if he's going to leave, I I like the Cincinnati job for him because if he goes to South Florida, I don't even know what their record was. You go to 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 Colorado; those are those are places going to be real challenging. I think Cincinnati kind of could fit him and fit what's going on, and they they're already you know obviously they're going to lose some people. Um, you know they have an all conference center that just hit a portal, and he's going to get out of there. You know they're going to lose some people with fickle, but. If Dion goes, I mean, right now you gotta remember Dion has been beating HBCUs, which are 
a lower level FCS conference with power five kids. Now he goes into the situation where he's going to be not all power five, but definitely FBS kids. When he's going to go into a situation where he's going to have to compete against power fives, against other FBS teams, the recruiting story is going to be a little different to come to South Florida than it is to come to the, the Jackson state. He's not getting these, these guys who want to be, you know, pioneers and martyrs and spearhead. Now you're competing against the, the traditionals, right? And that's going right. to be a harder, a harder sell. So when he goes in there, if he doesn't win, it doesn't, doesn't do right. You know, for him, that's kind of tough. I think he needs to go to a place like Cincinnati. That's already five, six years into turning their program around and try to keep it, keep that momentum going. I think if he tries to go something where he wants to rebuild, he's going to find out it's much harder to rebuild in the FBS than it was in the HBCU community. I will say this, and then because I I, I disagree with you guys a bit, I, I um first when it comes to where the next opportunity should be um, for Prime, if it is on the collegiate level based on the existing rumors, I would say University of South Florida is perfect because he's from North Fort Myers, Florida. Uh, he played at Florida State. All of the Florida schools are down um using their own using the benchmark of what they expect them to be i know florida state has gone on they've won the last five weeks but nobody hopefully Knowles fans don't think that this is seminal football based on what they expect to be so you've got three of the three top programs in florida the state champion if you will of state of of, of florida florida state thing is alma mater that he just flipped the kid from last year all three are down I would say South Florida would be the best place. Better weather. You don't have to learn a whole new vibe in terms of how you recruit kids. Cincinnati, not only do you have to learn a new vibe, it's very different from South Florida. You don't take that Florida advantage in when you go recruit, although you are prime time. And I think because of what you just said, they've already established that they have a turnaround. Luke Fickle has a certain place. The window is a lot shorter for you to go in and be successful. There's a lot tighter leash on you. And if it doesn't happen right away, they get you out of there. South Florida, you got more leeway and for all the other reasons. And then I'm going to throw that same question in you, ETP, so hold that thought. But before I do, I'm going to rewind and say, I disagree with you guys. I think this is the perfect time for him to go and do what he needs to do. And it, it wouldn't undermine what he's already done at Jackson State. It wouldn't undermine what he's already done at HBCUs. I think that fact that Hugh Jackson goes and coaches at HBCU, I think the fact that Eddie Jones, uh, or Eddie George, rather, goes and, and, and coaches at HBCU, I think the fact that uh, Eddie Robinson Jr., uh, him and Eddie Robinson Jr. created this, this instant rivalry with their post-game exchange, I think he has left it better than he found it. And um, he mentioned in terms of opportunities, right, in this, this episode of Inequity and Exclusion, he talked about it's not just him making the decision. He said, financially, I'll be okay for the rest of my life. I got a yellow jacket. He's got the freaking, uh, 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 he's, he's got a podcast. He's on TV. He's going to be fine. But there are coaches on this staff that, but for being here on my staff at this moment at Jackson State in this HBU, in this HBCU landscape as it stands in 2022, would have never gotten an opportunity to go to a power five school. And that's where I think when it comes to inequity and exclusion, when I think of all the players that were great college players and went on to had amazing NFL careers that want to get into coaching and they are told, given a clipboard and told you got to start at the GA level, the number of people that said it ain't worth it because 
there's no way I can start at that level. And I don't think I should when I look across the bow and I see a guy who's never coached before, never played before, but has just been an intern and broke down videos for the last several years already on the track to be at this point. You know, I mean, let's let's call it, it is what it is. Tommy Reese is an offensive coordinator at the University of Notre Dame. That doesn't happen for brothers a lot. So I think that there's there's this other side of opportunity that he would be providing for his staff that I think is getting lost in the wash when we're having this conversation. Um, so I disagree with you guys. So I want to make sure I, I, I made that clear. Um, and I throw it to you, back to you, ETP, when it comes to what do you think the best opportunity would be for Dion with the rumors that are circulating? Well, I mean, I so I'll answer that question. But before, I mean, one, I, I wasn't, I definitely wasn't saying he's going to leave it worse than it was. I was saying that he had, he set a precedent that as soon as he walks away, if he walks away right now, there will be a decline in all of the value Absolutely. metrics Absolutely. of what Jackson State has achieved and HBCUs yep. in general. I can't deny that. I and so, deny. so, but I'm not, I'm, I'm in no way saying that if he packs up and leaves, it all goes back to ground zero at all. Like huge progress, but it just will not, the infrastructure is not there to set them on a trajectory to continue to progress forward or, you know, achieve greater. But the, and then the other part, I mean, I understand getting you know getting a coaching job at any level requires getting tapped by the head coach all of that but he doesn't have to take a head coaching job to provide or create or enable opportunities for his coaching staff right like i understand i'm not like i'm not downplaying Fair. that like there is some level of relationships and when you know the head coach and you've worked for the head coach it's a lot easier to get a position on that coaching staff than if you're, you know, basically just be, giving, being given a referral or a reference by that coach. But that yeah. to be said, like he's having these conversations, what he can do if he is intent on staying, he can, he's having these conversations with power five schools, with all of these different coaching staff or, you know, athletic directors, he can promote all of his staff to be given opportunities at any school and create that pipeline where, He's actually the clearinghouse for black coaches to help get them, you know, more opportunities at various schools while he's just leveraging all of the relationships he's building by being courted by all of these different schools. So very fair. It's it's very not fair. it's not binary in that way, I would yep. say. But so that's that part. In terms of where he should go, like I, I think I don't have a specific school. I think Cincinnati is a good idea. I think, you know to think about it just strategically without any labels or specific teams, like the brand of coach prime, he has to go to a place where he's going to succeed out the gate. Right. Cause as soon as there's a little bit of tarnish on that image in terms of what he's able to do, it's very quick. The media turns into like, you know, he's basically just, he needs success. His brand requires success for him to be the brand that he is. Right. So Unless he's improving, unless he's showing results, he's just a loudmouth. He's just a spectacle. He's all of these things, especially as a black coach at the college level of coaching. You will quickly lose a lot of that brand equity by being looked at as a showman, be all talk, all of these things, if you're not seeing the results. So even if right. there's a rebuilding period, which you don't really get in college, right? Like you're not allowed that long to be able to rebuild. So for me, I think he has to go to a place that's already installed as a powerhouse 
And I don't know that he's even getting like even a Cincinnati. Like, I don't think that that's high enough. Like he needs to walk into a Florida state. He needs to walk into a, like an elite historically successful university that maybe had an off year or two, but is, but is being set up and has the infrastructure for him to be successful out of the gate. And not just because he has some innate ability to recruit the best players out of Florida, but there's a full pipeline. There's already an established level of success and an expectation where he's not coming in to create a culture. He's coming in to advance that culture of winning because otherwise it becomes a distraction. And then you've got transfer portal issues and you have all these other challenges that come into play. Two quick things. First, uh, you talked about him being a showman. He is the ultimate uh, self-promoter, marketer. He talked about how the idea of Prime came about on the opposite end of the spectrum is David Shaw, who quietly this week retired or resigned from being the head coach of Stanford University, the Cardinal. You look at his record, he did a great job. Uh, I think he won two Rose Bowls or something like that in his tenure there. Uh, so not a moment of silence, but I want to make sure I mention that to celebrate um a very quiet, unassuming, hardworking young black coach that went out to Stanford with very little name recognition at the time and built quite, quite the resume. And so congratulations to David Shaw and his resignation, which I don't know is going to lead to retirement or not. Sounds like he's done coaching, but I wanted to make sure we celebrated that while we talk about uh, changing coaching when it comes to Coach Prime. The other thing is, I don't think he would ever go to Florida State. I think that if, if I had to strap him onto a strap him onto a polygraph, I think it would tell us that University of, of South Florida is the leader in the rumored opportunities because he would be right there in Florida going head to head. I think even Marvin Baysmore, appreciate the input. Like we tell you guys every week, please like, comment, share, tag a friend, tag a phone, and please subscribe. Love when you guys uh give us some input. But Baysmore, one of one of the guys who watches, one of the bros who watches faithfully, uh, even alludes to it that. Dion was never even considered at Florida State. And while he's the ultimate showman, he's just as much, if not more, when you think of him in the category of competitive. He's a competitor. I think the opportunity to be in Florida and to show that you can be the team in Florida is might be a little too attractive to pass up. I, I see that as the place that I would suggest he goes, and he would have a lot longer time to get it right than he would at a Cincinnati. Um, but great debate, man. Great topic. Uh, whatever he does, uh, really happy to, 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 to see that he's doing it in a way, and I've mentioned this before, in a way that also is supportive of his children. He brought his kids over there. He's got not one, not two, but three kids enrolled in Jackson State University. Two play and one does the media. No, two two playing on the football team and his daughter's on the basketball team. Oh, he's also got does the social media. He's also employed his son to do the social media. Why go hire someone else when I've got a son that wants to do this? And so um, you know, shout out to, to Coach Prime, man. In this episode of inequity and inclusion, uh, it's good to see that he is is thinking of some other opportunities. Let's get into another topic, man, because we're winding down here, but I wanted to Make sure we talk about this because how dare we not? And I think the best way to do this is to is to to let the man um, do the talking himself. And so for this particular topic, if you would do us the honors, ETP, uh, I, I think seeing it 
and experiencing it will be the best way to tee up uh, this next topic of inequity and exclusion. I was wondering why I haven't gotten a question from you guys about the Jerry Jones photo. But when the Kyrie thing was going on, you guys were quick to ask us questions about that. Okay. Um, hold on, hold on, hold on, hold on, hold on. And I don't even want you guys to say nothing. When I watched Kyrie talk and he says, I know who I am, but I want to keep the same energy when we're talking about my people and the things that we've been through. And that Jerry Jones photo is one of those moments that our people, black people, have been through in America. And I feel like as a black man, as a black athlete, as someone with power and a platform, when we do something wrong or, or something that people don't agree with, it's on every single tabloid, every single news coverage, it's on the bottom ticker, it's asked about every single day. But it seems like to me that the whole Jerry Jones situation photo, and I know it was years and years ago and we all make mistakes, I get it. But it seemed like it's just been buried under like, oh, it happened, okay, we just, we just move on. And I was just kind of disappointed that I haven't received that question from you guys. Appreciate it. So, yes, he calls out media. And at this point, what we've done and the consistency and trying to get what is the ball hawk sports talk into every living room in America, being every ear in America and beyond, we're officially media. So I, I, I think it's worth the conversation. I think he said it in a way that was uh, – received if the ESPN pundits give me any um, standard of how media received it, they received it in a way that was accusatory. I, as, as someone trying to, to, to beat down the door and, 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 and get to that point where we have an ESPN level platform, but still considered media, I didn't feel it was accusatory. As someone, as a black man who dealt with some of the conversations that pertain to Kyrie, we've dealt with those here on this particular platform, on this show. I celebrated it. But as I alluded to last week, and I do a lot of times, sometimes my appreciation of a particular topic, I like it's nuanced when I hear or I see a lot of the brothers in this, this group text that I'm in, Suburban Brothers, all very well accomplished black men going back and forth and and to see some people in there saying ah man it was it was a lazy analogy and then it seemed more opportunistic it seemed as though it wasn't really there's no substance there i didn't think that anyone would have that perspective so let's have a conversation is it just lebron trying to you know trumpet his own horn and does it fall on deaf ears because of his response to Kyrie? Or should it be? And you guys saw that I celebrated. I was like, respect to the king, because I am a self-proclaimed. I profess this, that I am in the in the driver's seat. I might not be driving the car, but I'm at least in, I'm riding shotgun. 
in the LeBron hater mobile. But I got when I when I see something worth respect, I give it respect. Where where do you guys fall on this? LeBron addressing something that necessarily didn't need to be addressed, but I think shining light on, I don't want to say it was hypocrisy. Let's just call it different coverage. In this episode of inequity and exclusion, the coverage was a bit inequitable if we compare and contrast the two. In this episode of inequity and exclusion, he's pointing out that the rampant questions knowing that LeBron is a Dallas Cowboy fans, were excluded from their line of questions. Where do you guys fall on this? I think, you know, last week I was saying, you know, it's kind of much to do about nothing with the whole picture. Only only because I'm not surprised by anything that you're going to tell me that Jerry Jones, an 80-year-old white man, could have said at 14 years old. Not an excuse. I know someone asked us last week if we were giving him a pass. Absolutely not giving him a pass, but just not surprised. Um, Focusing solely on LeBron's point, I I have to give him some some credit for the fact that you're right. I mean, he he he's I think it's accusatory, but I think it needs to be. But anytime you accuse the media, the the one bad thing about it is the media has the 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 narrative. So if you ever say anything, if you ever are asked a bad question by the media and you get mad, they say they're just doing their job because they all back each other up, right? So this, you're kind of in a bad situation because you're accusing people who control the narrative. And I think LeBron doesn't care about that. He's going to say, hey, listen, you know, I don't pay attention personally like to the theme of all the questions that they ask athletes. So, you know, at first you could say, well, it's football, this is basketball, Kyrie's basketball. You played with them before. It's a little bit obvious, but you just made a point. Everyone knows he's a Dallas Cowboys fan. It's definitely something we want to, you know, people would want to hear. Um, what does LeBron have to say? Um, either so they can hate LeBron for saying it or they can, you know, celebrate it. But his opinion definitely matters when it comes to sports issues. And again, very, very uh, uh, popular that everyone knows that he's a Cowboys fan uh, or was a Cowboys fan. So I think it's good that he said that he said that and he called out the media because the media needs to be called out on a lot of stuff. Um, and I, th- I think that, uh, you know, they did give him a pass. They did move on. They did say it's much to do about nothing to do whatever. We are the media, but we're a little bit of a different platform than than uh, mainstream media. And I do think they have a duty to to report on everything equally. ETP. Uh, and, and before I, I throw to you, ETP, I, and I see people weighing in. We appreciate it. Continue to like, comment, share, tag a friend, tag a foe. We appreciate your inputs. It helps us to to think about things differently. So again, please make sure you continue uh, to participate and contribute. We, we truly do. Uh, we truly do appreciate it. Uh, go ahead, ETP. So, I mean, it, in terms of LeBron, so LeBron actually mentioned this before that soundbite, right? Like before this week, he, when that picture first came out, he basically said, I'm no longer a fan of the Dallas Cowboys. He's known historically to be a fan of the of the Cowboys, um, you know, ever since he's been a celebrity, um, you know, spotted at games, wearing the Cowboys hat, all of that, just known to be a fan. Despite being from Akron, despite being from Akron, but I digress. I'm hating on the fact he's not a Browns fan, but oh well, okay. Maybe maybe he can come over now, but go ahead, go ahead. Listen, man, you live in Jersey. You know that there's Cowboys fans everywhere. Unfortunately. Um, But 
so so that to be said, like anything LeBron says or does is always newsworthy and the media jumps on it. Ironically, this situation that he presented and said, I'm no longer a fan because of what I just witnessed or what I've been exposed to. Nobody asked him the question. People were asking him about Kyrie Irving. He's not Kyrie Irving's teammate. He's not connected to anything that Kyrie Irving did or didn't do that was being accused of, but he had to answer to it because he plays in the same league. LeBron is the spokesperson for the NBA, and when he says anything, it's newsworthy. So the fact that regardless of this was 66 years ago, regardless of the questionability around the motives of the presence of Jerry Jones at 14 years old at this protest or trying to prevent people from, you know, black children from attending a school that was being integrated like it's not the point it's that it's not being discussed right and so there's definitely hypocrisy there's definitely double or triple standards around which issues get more presence Je the issue is not about them asking jerry uh lebron james to me the issue is about jerry jones not having to come out and explicitly condemn racism institutional racism racism against black people in the united states and in the diaspora none of that because in certain situations when disenfranchised groups deal with some level of resurfaced oppression whether it's historical or current there has to be an explicit condemnation of that viewpoint if they don't agree with it the casual dismissal to say i was young i was just curious all of these things there's no soundbite. Jerry Jones is not on video. Jerry Jones has not put out a statement. Jerry Jones had very little to say around Kaepernick when that was all coming to pass. There was an issue around the kneeling. No, Jerry Jones said, if you take well, a knee, you're cut. Yeah, you're cut, right? <laughs> so so they, they knelt at one game and got up very quickly. And then, yeah, and then he said, if you do anything after this, you will be released from the team. So there's a pattern, a questionable pattern. But the fact that he, if we don't even go into his history in other situations with other groups, and as it should be with everybody, if you are seen and associated with anything that resembles racist, xenophobic, sexist, you know, any homophobic, you know, religious prejudice, any of that, you should be required to come out and condemn that to show that you do not align yourself in any way with those viewpoints unless you do <laughs> and if that's the case stand on that as well and i think this is this is what connects us to the Kyrie moment is because as you describe what should be the case in this case we're talking about jerry jones being a segregationist when it comes to Kyrie, we're talking about Kyrie supporting an art form that people thought was anti-Semitic. But since that, that moment, probably nobody ever watched anyway. No one ever watched. <laughs> just, but just since that in moment, <laughs> in all circles of life, but especially in the NBA, we've all had to come out. And I'm not saying as though it was a duty and an obligation that I need to be rewarded for. I have no problem saying that I love all people. I'm not an anti-Semitic. Like, it's no problem to say that with bass in my voice and so did so many other nba players and with bass in their voice 
the challenge I have is not only the Jerry Jones and, and Marvin Baysmore, who I think is also a Cowboys fan. What's up, Baysmore? I think he's also a Cowboy fan, or at least was. Uh, that Jerry Jones, who loves the mic, has not been in front of the mic, as Baysmore points out. But in addition, Jerry Jones, who I would qualify as his peers, are the other owners of NFL teams. None of them have been able or been forced to speak as to their stance, current or historical, of being a segregationist. And so with it from that lens, I think LeBron did a great job, man, of just saying what it is. And uh it was interesting to watch some of the ESPN responses. That's where, you know, it's a worldwide sport. So I was I was watching it just as all of us do and to see how defensive they were rather than being honest with in this episode of inequity and exclusion, the inequitable coverage if I compare the response to Kyrie versus the response to that photo. And yes, Kyrie made the statement or at least posted the 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 uh, link to the movie, to the Netflix movie documentary in real time. The photo captures something that happened when an uh, 80-year-old man was 14. Granted, but the photo is what it is. The photo speaks to the Jim Crow era and the civil rights movement in this country, almost to the T. I'm not saying that that you just automatically assume that Jerry Jones is a segregationist and a racist based on the photo, because at, at most is circumstantial evidence. What I'm saying is, is that the media should have made people discuss it, because it's a it's an entire chapter of our history in America that we're just going to pretend like it didn't happen. We're not going to discuss it. Oh, we're not worth discussion. We being the black community, we're not worth discussion. That's what it felt like. We're not even worth discussion. So all I'm saying is, is that that, that in this episode of inequity and exclusion, that's what it felt like. It is that Yet and still, in 2022, there's an element of segregationism, if you will, in terms of how we cover things. I just wonder if, like, is is there, like, let's let's take the Kyrie comparison out of it. Let's just look at it as an instance, right? Does, if there's a photo of a 14-year-old Jerry Jones at a Klan meeting, does that, does that have a different effect? even though it's 66 years ago, does Jerry Jones having us writing a swastika on a wall 66 years ago, does that have, like, where's the line of when it's just undeniable (laughs) where he has to answer to this and there needs to be a broader conversation? Like, I I can recognize you can have a you you can be 14 and you can do things many years ago and you can have changed or have evolved opinions but like if 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 there's photos of Jerry Jones at 14 years old in a clan hood do we take the same approach if he's 
you know, if he has a swastika, does it, is it the same approach? If there, like, if there's, I don't know, I can't think of enough examples, but being oppressively, you know, representationally oppressive towards any group of people, like where, at what point do you need to an answer to it? Cause this is, this was the civil rights era, Jim Crow, as you mentioned, like th there's, there's a very explicit statement here that is just ironic. I'm just curious, like where's sea level at this point? Like what would have to happen in that photo for him to have to answer to that photo in a way that's more extreme than what he's had to. In a weird roundabout way, the photo being disclosed with the Washington Post article in the same time frame as the Kyrie Post and how we responded to it, I think was the perfect breeding ground for that moment for LeBron James, who LeBron James, to use his platform to point out the hypocrisy. And while again, I'm not the driver, but I'm at a minimum, I'm I'm I might have moved in the backseat now. I might not have even been the shotgun uh in the LeBron hater mobile. You gotta celebrate a, a young brother who voluntarily put himself in a conversation that is activism in 2022 of using the media in a way that is powerful. I won't say he weaponized it, but it's powerful. And he said it in the statement. He talked about his power and his platform. And for a young black man, uh, knowing that he's going to undergo some criticism for doing it on both sides, because in that group, in my, my group of brothers, there were people just questioning, ah, man, ain't no real substance. It's just LeBron doing that. Or when I watch ESPN, they said, man, that's a terrible analogy. What is LeBron talking about? To put himself within fire voluntarily for something that is as meaningful as whether or not we were treated equally in this country during a segregation, at the time of segregation in a Jim Crow era, to me, the brother needs to be celebrated. Now, yes, I'm still mad that he left the Miami Heat. Yes, I still think he puts together uh, power teams. Yes, I got a whole bunch of stuff that in the hater mobile we talk about. But let's celebrate that, brother, man, because he didn't have to do it. I'm glad that he did. And we're talking about it, whereas the media had decided, whether implicitly or explicitly, that we were done talking about that photo. Yeah, with, so. with, with the symbols. Oh, I was just curious. Oh, you care? Okay. Next question. Uh, are you guys going to beat so-and-so next week? You're right. I mean, it. again, hats off to LeBron. People are going to hate him. Haters going to hate. People are going to hate him forever. Um, I'm a LeBron fan. That's so. I'm hating. Uh, let's hop on to a few more because that did connect us to the Kyrie Irving thing. And Kyrie Irving then connects us, unfortunately, uh, to, 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 uh, but before I go there, because, because I did also want to, to address one thing, uh, what's the, 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 the suspended, is he still suspended? Who? Ime Udoke? Is that how I'm I say it? Suspended for the whole season. Suspended for the whole season. Uh, Nia Long came out and said, hey, man, you know, Boston Celtics, NBA, you guys seem really concerned with women rights and how this is perceived and and, and the impact of uh, misogyny on women and families. Uh, so I just find it odd that no one's ever reached out to me, consider that I'm the fiance and my kids uh, seeing these stories about a father figure in their lives, my significant other uh, being plastered across the uh, the, 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 the the respective uh, journalistic uh, printouts. No one ever reached out to me. 
I think she had a point. In this episode of Inequity and Exclusion, I think that's a little unfair. And to exclude her viewpoint from it says that maybe uh, the lightning rod issue that was an entire Me Too movement that has now led to decisions um, that I think are, are, are much more fair and and and, and just. Um, but at the same time, Nia Long not having a voice in all of this says something. So uh, I don't know if you want to weigh in real quick, uh, uh, ETP, before we move on. But I thought Nia Long coming out saying that was, was dope. Shout out to her. Yeah, I, I think it's important. You know, I think instances like this show that there's human beings on the other side of all of these stories and you know it is unfortunate because i mean that was the whole thing with the the celtics organization that they came out so publicly but then didn't share any information so the way that they rolled all of this out has just been really was really clumsy and messy in general because they came out and kind of made a statement but then didn't provide any details so it's leaving everybody very curious and speculative around what the issues are but then also there's human beings that are affected by that like the fact that you know she has she claims that she had to take her child out of his school switch schools i think two times like this this has impact on human beings so from a media perspective you know as as much of a a media outlet as as we express ourselves to be like it's something that you know even i'm conscious of or try to be conscious of but you know always should be more conscious because the people involved there's effects that this has on the people behind the scenes because there's human beings that have to live their lives based on these stories but right but it's just but it is crazy like there was never any conversation like it's near law like i'm not saying they shouldn't have done it if it was anybody but it's also Nia Long, who is a celebrity, who has a platform, who could speak out in certain ways. Like, why? I would just think from a PR standpoint, you're just like, all right, let's just have a conversation and do, cri- you know, crisis management and damage control because you are also a celebrity. If she was not a celebrity and she was just a civilian, so to speak, she should get the courtesy of getting ha- having that conversation. But I would just think like outside of the emotion of it, if you're the PR department or the publicist for the Boston Celtics, you're like, we need to make sure Nia Long is not right. going to well, go rogue and make any statements like this well, well, <laughs> against well, the organization. Look, you make a fair point and, and you are our guru, our go-to, our resident expert when it comes to like the marketing and the PR and how that's perceived. But I would even go further. How do you make the decision to suspend them indefinitely or for the season? Now, I'm assuming it has a timetable on it without speaking to the person, his significant other. Because, yes, there are code of conduct rules in the workplace that he violated. But at the same time, if that man, Ime Udoki, and his significant other, in this case, Nia Long, have an understanding and a relationship such that she allows him uh, and he allows her, or whatever it is, I think they call them things not open relationships, or whatever they say, right? He might have not violated any real standard of, and that that still might not, again. But that, but that's not the organization's, like, what, that doesn't, is that the organization's does, though, responsibility because, because to investigate the terms of their relationship? It's not, not from what we understand, that's the problem. We don't even really truly know what That's the, my point. what the violation is so based on that we, we have to assume. just assume yeah we, we can assume, assume anything but we could assume that, that the violation is that you're not supposed to have relationships with anybody on the staff or, or right. which which is it's it, which is 
inconsequential to what his personal home life is. Yes and no, because the violation in terms of infidelity and what that says for the honor code more generally, which is why a lot of these companies put those policies in place, does require you to have violated something within your own home. So if you have an open relationship, that violation does not exist. It's all I'm saying. So if he, he was single, well, the ladies that he messed with are married. So if he was single and they messed with them, it would still be a problem, right? Yeah, that well, that's what I'm saying. I don't, I can't imagine that the Boston Celtics organization is being like faith based in their decision. And yeah, they say, didn't suspend it because they can't. <laughs> we're suspending you because of proof, infidelity and adultery. Which is proof, Either proof, way, it should have reached out. Positive. I'll say this listen, you know, you, people's actions, you can really tell what, what's important to them, right? They want to get in front of this, they want to get this dude suspended, they want to break the news and control the narrative. They didn't care about what happened, right? They don't want to get sued. By the husband of uh, of the the woman he had an affair with, they don't want to get sued by her for sexual harassment. They don't want people to know that they have a guy who's doing this running their team, but they don't care. At the end of the day, they don't care. And, and proof point that no one thought should we check with Nia? Should we let her know that we're about to go public with the story and we're going to do all these different things and you know let give her the heads up and let this thing come out? Nah, they didn't right. care. So right. it is whatever. Welcome. She to could course. go scorched earth and be like, y'all want to know what happened? This is what happened. And now the Boston Celtics organization needs to come and pick up all the pieces behind that. Like, that's why it's from a PR standpoint, it's the dumbest thing you could ever do mm -hmm. is not contact her because one, she knows everything. And two, she has a platform to expose everything. Facts. Well, they better uh, call that me along and, and get it right. Um, let's get into one more topic, man, because uh, we'll actually got a few, but we're going to, it's lightning round. Inequity and exclusion. I also wanted to make sure we talked about um, Kanye because I said that the, the Kyrie connection to LeBron, uh, they got De Dak Prescott's uh, response to it, but then it brings us to Kyrie because Kyrie um, posted a picture and the picture was, oh, by the way, I found this man with Kim. Kim being his ex-wife. No, you said Kim. Kanye. You said Kyrie. Kanye. Sorry, Kanye. Sorry, we're back on Kanye. Sorry, the K's and sorry, I Kanye. Was, I was just uh, over here doing this, and I should have been doing this. Yeah, my bad. You know? My bad. Doing yeah, what? My bad. Kanye. Rapping this shit. Rapping this <laughs> It looks funny when I put the head in the air. Yeah. yeah. You know what I'm so we rapping now. We rapping. Uh, Kyrie posted a picture that said, I caught K in bed with this man. And there's a picture of two men, and under one is Paul, right? Because it's Chris Paul. And uh, the, the other is, uh, what's the what's the uh, Bridgewater guy's last name? Tripping. Dalio. Um, Dalio. Um, so Paul Dalio, Ryan Dalio. So uh, it's been rumored that he wasn't even talking about CP3, but the picture has Black Twitter thinking that CP3 was caught in bed with Kim K. Now, CP3 got his own family and his own kids. So I hope Kanye cleans this up. In the in this episode of Inequity and Exclusion, that wasn't fair, man, to do a subliminal with that man's face on it when he got wife and kids. Clickbait. That's clickbait, baby. Clickbait. And Exclusion, I'm sure uh, CP3 could have been like, bro, you could have made that point without using me, dog. Get me out your drama. But when I tried to click on the picture this morning, I have since been notified by Twitter that indeed Kanye... Kanye, I keep messing them up. Kanye's Twitter page or Twitter access has been suspended. 
It has now been reported today that Kanye has decided to walk away from Twitter. So it is either voluntary or involuntary exclusion, but indeed Kanye and Twitter seem to be at odds, never to be connected again. I know Elon Musk said anything goes, uh, just because we are sports business entertainment from a business perspective, and I want the lightning round answer to it, do we think this censorship uh, of Kanye is right? And is this going to mess up Twitter going forward? Quick answer. We'll go. What, what say you guys? I think it's interesting that uh, that they're censoring him. Really, right after me, Elon. Elon's only been there a couple weeks. He's already censoring him. But um, when the defamation lawsuit comes out, they might be a named uh, party in the defamation if they allow that to be out there, uncorroborated story. So they probably are just covering their butts. Yeah, but when he said this man and there's a subliminal, I don't think that 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 uh, there's much there. There. What do you say, ETP? Is this where we're heading? The censorship of Kanye is what we need to be doing. Uh, because I was surprised that he got suspended for, I think it was for that last tweet where he said, I caught this man in bed with Kim. Uh, well, supposedly it's, it's unclear, but the speculation based on a text that Elon Musk sent Kanye to Kanye then posted on his Twitter account is because he put up a logo that was interweaving a swastika with the star David and, that seemed to be the breaking point. And then he was able to still tweet for another probably 30, I don't know, however many minutes or hours. And then he was shut down. But based on what we know, it looks like Elon Musk or Twitter suspended his account because of uh, the Nazi symbolism and anti-Semitism. Normally, I would take that opportunity to make a point, but I'm not doing it today. We're going to move into another time. Wrong is wrong, right? I wrong guess. is wrong. <laughs> uh, in, in this episode of inequity and exclusion, I agree with you there. Wrong is wrong, and that's the point, right? Is that all wrongs should be treated the same. Let's get into pay equity real quick before we get out of here, man. I hate that we, we saved it to the very last, but we did save our best for last in terms of importance, if you will, because this is important. You got the WNBA when it comes to pay equity, and um, the I'm, her name is escaping me. I see her face. The guard, Kelsey um, Plum. Kelsey Plum says that uh, place for the Aces, correct? Correct. Of the, of the team, right? Uh, talked about the percentage in which they should make of the overall revenue, and it should be comparable to what NBA players make in percentage wise. So they're comparable. Uh, are the comparable to their gross revenue uh, through the NBA. Um, we'll address that. In addition, because the U.S. women's national team in this space, and we'll get more into a few other topics when it comes to the World Cup quickly, uh, but there's a, a pay equity, uh, ongoing pay equity discussion there that this year in this World Cup, because the men did advance to the knockout round, has a lot more... Uh, you know, substance there is a lot. We can sink our teeth into it now because the 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 perspective payout is now a true payout. Both pay equity concerns, WNBA, U.S. Women's National Team. We've talked about it a lot. I'll start with you on this one, ETP. Uh, what are we thinking? The state of affairs in 2022. If you think of the percentage of gross revenue, and you look at WNBA versus NBA, they are different. Um, but so is the gross revenue. 
Uh, if you look at the U.S. women's national team, and we talked about them being the more more prominent, far more prominent of the two soccer teams in the U.S., uh, now they've sort of gotten what they fought for. Uh, where, where are we thinking the state of affairs is when it comes to pay equity at these high-level elite women professional sports or national team sports versus men? I, I think this is all it's all very messy and convoluted on multiple sides. Like Kelsey Plum, I love her game. I think she's a great athlete. She's getting a lot more uh, awareness and marketability since she's been, she won a championship. She smokes cigars, always a fan of somebody that does that. But (laughs) I think she's got to work a little bit harder on her accounting just because, you know, the idea of splitting the revenue it makes perfect sense for when you're looking apples to apples with two organizations that are both netting profit. So the idea that the WNBA, which historically every year for the past 25, 26 years has lost $10 million as a write-off to the, to the NBA who subsidizes uh, the WNBA operations for them to be complaining or to calling out, that they're not getting paid fairly because it's not the same revenue split is inaccurate because you can share revenue when there's profit. If you're not profitable, the idea of sharing more revenue means you're going to be even less profitable. And there's history. We've talked about this so many ways about the Houston Comets. They won back-to-back championships and they were owned by the same owner of the Houston Rockets back-to-back champions in the WNBA, they don't exist anymore. They weren't even sold. They were just dissolved because the owner of the the Houston Rockets and Houston Comets didn't want to take the hit after winning back-to-back championships. So as a result, it's a financial issue. Like run the accounting. We can make it all make sense. I think there should be a greater investment so that women don't have to play overseas. By the way, Brittany Griner is not making a dime right now, and she's in prison because she was going to places where she had to play. So I'm all for making a greater investment, but the business model is broken. It's a broken business model. Y'all have joked on me countless times when I proposed alternatives. I won't do it. But then on the flip side, you have the U.S. Women's National Team, which is great that they have a new collective bargaining agreement, that they are getting the amount of revenue into their organization that is, in, that is in line with what they deserve from a performance standpoint. The problem is they don't earn that much. FIFA does not generate as much revenue for women's soccer as it does for men's soccer. The idea that the women's soccer team can, can make $6 million in two World Cups after winning both World Cups, but then they get $6.5 which is half of what the U.S. men's national team makes for making the knockout round of the World Cup. So the women just made $6.5 million watching the men play, which is more than they made in the past two World Cups. They're not generating that revenue. I, I appreciate that they were able to negotiate retroactively the ability to share the revenue that comes into the national team. But the problem is the national team isn't where the revenue is coming from. The national the national team gains money from the revenue generated from FIFA and the amount of money that's generated, as we know, on the men's side with FIFA in the World Cup as compared to the women 
is much is dramatically different and much lower for the women. So both of these are really like they're cert- like they're both circling the right ideas, but the point is you have to follow the money. The money like this is anti-capitalism. Both both scenarios are anti-capitalism. One is let's pay people more money while they lose money and the other one is let's pay people half the money that the other half is generating the lion's share. Like it's not a cat. Like if, if that's the case, then like we are a socialist society, communism is king and let's all make the same amount of money. Like it doesn't, it doesn't make sense. Like we can't have it both ways. I I think because of the uh, decisions and how we market certain things, decisions and when and how we air certain sports, the decisions on the consumption side that, also are is the chicken and egg reflected in when things are covered and you know on what platforms and times etc i do think that the the fan the consumer we have our hands are are dirty in all of this and so your point that you make is is it's it's i can't i can't argue math that's accounting i can't argue that I just I, I I just say that we've got to figure out what role we play in changing that account and making sure that the sports that because I love women's basketball so you're right we tease about it and, and we and I, we're not going there but I think the the consumption space and the fan we got a responsibility man we do and I I don't know when we're gonna own up to that responsibility uh big flow show uh, if, if you but want people to want, to, people watch what they want to watch like that's but, but do they it's not like, a, it's I not watch. an activist like we're not we're not but like media they? activists we watch but, what entertains us like i know but we i don't watch, watch what, the kardashians right like i don't watch that i'm not boycotting it Kardashians. like i'm not an activist but a lot of people <laughs> watch the kardashians because of the way that they market the kardashians and the time that they the time slot that they put it on the number of commercials. Yeah, but it sells. They're attractive women. People want to do it, and women want to be involved in this. Like people are famous just for being famous. So don't they, you can't you can market the hell out of basketball sales. You can market you can market the hell out of something that nobody wants to watch, and they're just not going to watch. You're just going to waste your marketing dollar. You could probably we don't make know a that. Bit. Have we tried it? I haven't seen women's basketball market this this year is the first time that I've seen the NBA. And I'm sell not the stadiums out first. Say again? like go to the games. That's sell, the chicken make, and egg conundrum. No, I mean, look, sell out stadiums. What do they, they do? What do they do in football? If you if you don't sell a stadium out, it's a blackout. You can't watch it. If we don't sell the stadium out, you can't watch it on TV. It's blacked out, right? You can't compare. Can we no, really no, compare I'm just saying. football and women's? You basketball? have to have a popularity. They didn't used to air the games on TV. They used to only sports used to only be live, and then you would get a recording the next day, and then it became popular to the point slowly that hey, well, if we put these on TV, people were going to watch because so many people were watching the recordings. They wanted to go do it live. And that's how we kind of got to where we are now. So the WNBA male dominated decisions, all, all male dominated decisions, by the way, understood, the big, but I'm the, saying, the big, the big well, where, game. okay, then where are the women that are watching the games? Why don't we go to the games that sold out with women? Why aren't people doing, you know, there's a sports bar came out for women in, in, in Seattle. It became huge news. It's a sports bar for women. Cause there's not a big draw for it. And again, I have a female athlete at home. I, I wish they could make millions. I wish she had a million dollar payday out there for volleyball. But the bottom line is I like watching the sport. And I think that other people might like watching the sport too, but it's just not what people want to go see. Right. So the basketball thing is, is silly. Like they want to get, She's, you know, they're, they're selective with their words. Just saying they want to have a revenue share. They're not saying like a profitability share because they know they're not profitable. So, you know, 
she complained about her jersey not this, this is the, the girl from the aces or the young lady from the uh aces that when her jersey gets sold she gets none of the money but they're still trying to recoup the money that they gave her because they're giving her more than they received right so that's one thing there the soccer thing where it bothers me is first of all it doesn't really solve the problem you're going to the men's side who didn't create the problem who have nothing to do with the problem as far as the the, the athletes and you're saying well, we're going to take half of yours and give it to them well now you haven't really solved the problem if you're really trying to play a pioneer for uh for equity in sports and there really is more money out there to be made from from uh that they really need to be going to fifa because what you did is you, you made the men's soccer team solve the problem put a band-aid on a problem that's a larger problem if you really care about gender and sports what you need to be doing is going to fifa and saying hey fifa you need to be doing more you need to be giving us more money because the money's coming from one spot which is fifa now you're just saying all right I'm gonna cut the men's check in half. Now I don't all know what men, the men were. FIFA, FIFA, all men making the decisions, but I, I digress. Correct, but it's not the U.S. soccer team is not FIFA. U.S. soccer, this is not like this isn't yeah, you, like you specified the athletes. You, you, you. Yeah, clarified. the athletes are sitting there, and the so my my point is that the yeah, male the athletes sacrificing. are receiving less money. I assume, or were they not getting all the money before? But they're receiving less money. So now that the women can do it, now granted, the women have been more successful. Personally, I think it's just as it's just as entertaining to watch the women's soccer. It's not my male soccer aficionados get offended when I say it, but to me, there's not that many things that a woman can do on a, a man can do on a soccer field that a woman can't do. Like a man can't, a woman's not going to. They're getting to be more, but they're not really making exciting dunks. They're not shooting from half court as much. They're not doing a lot of different things that are, you know, huge acts of athleticism. In soccer, I feel like every skill set that a man has, the woman can do. That's just me personally. So I watch women's World Cup soccer. Um, the U.S. just like I watch the men's. Now I probably won't watch the other countries, but I digress. The bottom line is you're taking the money out of the male athletes' hands to fix a problem that's greater. If we're, you know, we're the United States, we're the fixer of all the world's problems, right? So they need to be talking to FIFA and they need to be trying to get into FIFA and trying to get more money given out for the women. If there's more money to be had there, and I, I just don't think it's fair that the male athletes on the soccer team have to be the ones like to, to and, and especially to go 50-50. I mean. 75 25 i mean i gotta give you half my check because fifa doesn't pay you guys i i agree with both of you i just think that again i'm gonna say this whole imagine if one of these guys had a baby with one of them she'd get all the check <laughs> get the entire 100 uh but i i would just say that you know to me it's the whole chicken and egg conundrum you're right that these things are fact that when you look at ratings you look at viewership you look at you know, ticket sales, ticket sales at the gate. They're they're not selling out the games. They aren't packed arenas. But I would argue, and this is why I say the chicken and egg conundrum has to at least be considered. I would argue it's largely because men making decisions that are uh, they're misogynistic. No, I won't say misogynistic, but they favor men. The big so, noon game, the big noon game in college, that used to be where games went to die. You put the 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 game there that that no one wants to watch the first game, right? You watch college game day, you go do some other things, and the primetime slot was reserved for the big games. In in a in a matter of two years, now I know Ohio State and 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 Michigan, that's their thing. They always normally play the early game, but even that game aside, in a matter of two years, because of marketing. They have made that big noon game a primetime slot at noon on Saturday. 
despite all the other distractions that Americans have, despite all the sports and youth sports that we all engage in that we can't watch the game, they figured out that there's enough people in America that we could come up with enough marketing to make that slot a profitable slot for a big game. If you'd asked me that three years ago, I'm like, you out your mind. It can be done, but I think a lot of the decisions that are made that are being made are being made by men without real consideration of how to create a, 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 a real opportunity for women's sports to have the possibility to sell out arenas, to have the possibility to, to really have a, a, a riveting time slot where people could support it more. And that's all I'm saying. And your Kim K, or the, keeping up with the Kardashians point, is well made. But I would argue that it's well made and also sort of makes my point too, is that they mark the hell out of it, and so people watch it. Yeah, I mean, look, so so I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to give you, maybe this is on topic, maybe it isn't, but I'm going to make a loose, I'm going to give you a loose connection. So LeBron James... He's the owner in the Yankees. He's an or he's a, in partnership with the Yankees to own uh, what is it, Manchester City. Uh, he owns a team. He owns he owns a soccer team with the Fenway Group, Liverpool, Red Sox, etc., Pittsburgh Penguins. He just invested in pickleball, which if you guys have ever seen this sport, it's laughable. It's a backyard. How many? You better not do that. The pickleball enthusiasts gonna come get us. You better not do that. I, I can't. I would. I would solicit them pickleball enthusiasts to come. They might pull a groin or something. Anyway, so the ask LeBron James how many WNBA teams he's invested in. Fact zero, <laughs> zero. Fact. Why? Like that. That's because he knows like, that they're they're revenue losers. Yeah, he supports them, but at, like at, from from a private investment standpoint, I don't think. I, I couldn't tell because capitalism matters. I couldn't tell LeBron James with a straight face it's incumbent upon him to invest in a WNBA team because I understand that the PL says it doesn't make sense as an investment. So I don't know who I'm talking to. I'm admitting that I don't know. That's the whole idea of chicken and egg. I don't know where we start making the change i just think that if, if we think that we're going to get there by doing the it's, same thing marketing it's the same all way, driven by the, the media same, letting the same executives make the same decisions if we think we're going to get to a different place by doing that then that's the definition of insanity that's you're right and then you start doing like co-ed all-star games right maybe you know WNBA try to sneak a game in at halftime let y'all see that they can hoop too they got to do something that's tennis it. that's how they do <laughs> tennis they split they split they split the revenue in tennis because they're playing in the same tournaments, right? So they, you buy one ticket, you see men and women. Maybe that's the way. Maybe. I don't know. Uh, we'll have to leave it there, man. On this episode of Inequity and Inclusion, we and Exclusion, rather, uh, I, I, I played on my own play of words. Uh, we, we started off talking about diversity, equity, and inclusion. Now, I could have left diversity in there, but none of us really know what diversity is. We're just trying to figure it out. Uh, and it changes. It's ever-changing in this America. Uh, I didn't do it that way because DEI, as it's known in corporate circles, we've changed it. And we call it, instead of equity and inclusion, in ball hog sports talk and the way we do it, y'all know if you, you've been here for 20 seconds, we think a little deeper. We call it inequity and exclusion in all of the topics that we dealt with today. I did leave the diversity there because it would have been D-I-E. And DIE, as an acronym, we didn't want to use. But if you feel as though we have already arrived, 
Sometimes that's the word you want. You want to use that verb. Man, die. Die slow to tell me. You're going to piss on my leg and tell me it's raining. We have not arrived in a lot of areas, and today's topics prove that. We ask you humbly to please like, comment, share, tag a friend, tag a foe. This has been the inequity and exclusion episode of the Ball Hawk Sports Talk with sports, business, and entertainment collide. We did it the only way we know how to do it. Rough, rugged, and raw. The whole crew is in the building. We had from the Central Time Zone, the Big Flow Show from the Eastern Time Zone, the ETP, Ellis, the producer, and I'm your boy, B. Brown, ESQ, a.k.a. the Ball Hawk, a.k.a. the Mouth of the South, a.k.a. Mr. Excessive Celebration, a.k.a. Breezy. That is our show. We is out. Peace.